Hi, this is Coach Colette, host of the Start Within podcast. I am very excited to share with you the recording from our most recent Let's Talk Live podcast event. It features Nana Aisen Akiwowo, the founder of African Health Now, and Antonia Akintunde, founder of Mater Maya. Our conversation was all about Black motherhood. So you're going to hear some really candid, real conversations about what it takes to be a Black mom in the world today. We talked a lot about the real aspect because as with many aspects of our lives, you can find yourself getting caught up on social media and scrolling through pictures of everybody's perfect life in quotes. In this conversation, Nana talks about what it really was like to give birth to her daughter, as well as going through the whole process of becoming a mother. She also talked about her mission for African Health Now and why she thought it was important to create not only health fairs in her origin country of Ghana, but also to create maternity go boxes. Our friend and colleague Antonia talked about how it was important to create Mater Mea so that Black women could have community around motherhood and could hear some real stories about being a mother or wanting to be a mother or what it takes physically to get your body ready to be a mother. So this is a very candid conversation. You'll also hear some of the questions from the audience. I was really excited to have this conversation with these two dynamic founders. We are sharing this audio during Women's History Month. So it's also another shout out to pioneers in health, wellness, and media. So get ready and listen up. Hi, and welcome everyone to this Let's Talk Live segment of the Start Within podcast. I am Coach Colette, and I'm really excited to be here with you tonight. We are filming in the Center for Social Innovation. We are in the Women's Lab, and I am so excited to have this conversation with my two friends over here. We're gonna be talking all about black motherhood. And off camera, you can't see, there is an audience, so I'm gonna wave to our audience and say hello and good evening and welcome and thank you all for coming out this evening. Um, So I'm really excited about this conversation and this Let's Talk Live segment is something that actually originated with two folks on my team last uh, summer when we wanted to have conversations about issues. And so we've talked about microaggressions, we've talked about minority mental health, and now we're going to be talking about black motherhood. So I'm really excited to dive in. Are you, guys, are you yeah, ladies ready? Awesome. Ready. I'm super excited. 
<laughs> awesome. So I'm going to introduce you um, to everyone. So um, sitting directly to my left is Nana Aisanaki-Wowo. <laughs> yes, thank you. And she is the founder and president of African Health Now, which is a global pu public health organization started in 2005 when you were, you know, five. five. <laughs> exactly, when you were five. When I was five. When you were five. Yeah, it, there you go. Um, to provide access to primary and maternal health for women and children in sub Saharan Africa. So, welcome to Nana. Thank you. And also sitting to her left is Antonia Akintunde. Okay, yeah. yeah, I, I do my homework, yeah. And she is founder of Mattermea, which is a platform that celebrates, um, supports, and empowers black women um, and black mothers through content and community. And she is also a journalist, so I'm excited to have you on the show as well. Welcome, me. yeah. Um, so, so I wanted to set some context. So okay. I, d I did my homework okay. because I knew you all were going to be I'm here. I'm wearing high waisted pants, so I'm about to do a lean back. <laughs> did a lean so wait, back. Wait, 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 wait. I just want to. Okay, I'm ready. You ready? You're good. You're good. Um, so, so really, on a, on the serious note, right? So, um, black women die in childbirth at a rate of four times than white women. And so it's an interesting thing. So if out of 100,000 live births, um, black women have 42 deaths, whereas for the same 100,000 live births, there are only um, 13 deaths for white women. And not to say that obviously any death, any loss of a child is, is horrific, um, but we want to be thinking about, um, and particularly since high blood pressure and cardiovascular disease can lead to these issues in maternal health, and we know that in our community, that is something that you know, our community deals with a lot. Um, and when we're talking about um, preeclampsia, that, um, that it's 60% more common for African-American women, and then when we experience it, it's actually more severe. So this is the context that we're talking about, like just wanted to lay that groundwork for everyone to get a sense of um, why it's really important for us to be having this conversation. Um, but I kind of want to go back in time a little bit. Okay. Um, and I'm going to start with you, Nana, and to take us back to 2005. Oh, not that far back. Yeah, <laughs> I want to start because when you were five, I want to know what was going on, and I know kind of a little of the answer. What was going on in your family? What was going on in your world that led you to think, I want to get involved in healthcare? Okay, so. Um I had no desire when I was five, in 2005, <laughs> um, to get involved in healthcare. What happened was uh, my father had a heart attack in Ghana. And I, at the time, was an editor at a magazine, um, Essence Magazine. I guess I can say the name now, Essence. <laughs> uh, editor at Essence Magazine. And, um, and I got this phone call that my father had had a heart attack after he had gone to the hospital, but he was on his way home or to his next errand and he had a heart attack in a taxi and the, the driver felt compelled to call me back in those flip phone days. So he called me because I was the last number dialed and thankfully, you know, through a bunch of my persistence, I was able to kind of get to a place where thankfully my father survived and everything was well. And that was just because I went into this production mode of like, I know I'm in, 
on Milk Studios on 14th Street, but I can fix this and will fix this. And so like convincing the taxi driver to stay, I thankfully had a friend who texted me at the same time, who was like, where should I go get a grab a bite to eat in Accra? And I was like, go to the hospital. Yeah. <laughs> if that's where you get a bite to eat at the hospital. And he was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, I need help. My dad's in the hospital. I don't have any answers or any questions. I don't know what's happening. And he was like, oh, I got you. And so because of my, uh, I, and also, I guess, access and also even a, a level of position that I could be in, that I could have someone travel, that I would have the friend that was traveling from another country into my country and was leisurely in a space that was like, oh, I'm hungry and I want to get something to eat, and that he would have the time to go to the hospital, have the financial means to then take care of my dad without me knowing. All of those things kind of came to me around this, the importance of access. and. So when my dad got better and everything came together, I decided to galvanize all of my friends who were going to Ghana regardless. We go every year, we spend a lot of money, as you can tell from this full circle year of return that you guys have just gotten hip to. <laughs> we do a lot of things and I said, just give me one day, let's volunteer a day and I'll do the rest. And they were like, all right. And they showed up, I had about 21 friends um, come from all over the US, New York, LA, DC, Germany, uh, Sweden, like they came from everywhere. And they met in Ghana, we had one day of volunteering. And that particular day we provided th over 350 people with access to free primal healthcare. So non-communicable diseases. We did blood, blood pressure screenings, diabetes screenings, we had sessions on self-breast examinations, we had signs of a stroke, we had a full dental hygiene screening for the kids, and that was the moment where it was like, oh, what people need is access, what people need is information, what people need is the opportunity to talk to a doctor in a way in which they do not feel intimidated and feel like they can have a conversation and get feedback and not be judged. Um, and so that was kind of the bud that started African Health Now. What really started it was the very next day when the fair was over and this old lady came to my house. She had seen somebody on a public transport bus with one of our bags and thought the fair was still happening. And she got all the way to my house and she was like, I'm here for the fair. And I was like, ooh boo, there's no fair. <laughs> and my father was like, you will take, and I was like, daddy, I'm not a doctor. You know, I produce this, I don't, I'm not a doctor. And he was like, you have everything she needs here. And so we, I called, a, I called one of the doctors and was like, I have a person here. She was like, this is what you, re, how you read the machine. I read the machine, I gave her a glucose testing. I did all of that in my living room. And the woman knew that she was hypertensive, but had not been able to check her, her, her pressure. And not because she didn't want to, she was an elderly woman, but she didn't have the means to. And so just me telling her, you're doing okay, your pressure might be a little high. She didn't have the means to take the medication, so she was trying to go through this natural way. And for her, when she walked away with the machine, I said, well, now you can check it all the time. This is what it is. Mm -hmm. Just the joy in her face that was like, I had helped her. Mm -hmm. And that one person impact was like, all right, I guess I'll be back again next year, daddy. Mm -hmm. and, I was, and I've been back since 2005. I've been going back every year, wow. every single year. <laughs> oh God, now I really am older than five. <laughs> <laughs> really am. 
That's that's fantastic, and yeah. I really I really that's wanted I really wanted everyone to know that story, which um, which lays the groundwork. Yeah. And so, tell us how did you get from there to the maternity go boxes, and tell us a little bit about what oh, those are. So, I'm a mom. Uh, I'm a mom of one tiny seven year old who is a terrorist, um, <laughs> but she's my favorite. <laughs> um, and. What happened was what we were finding when we were doing our mobile clinics is that we do mobile clinics in the marketplace. So to be very specific, we do not expect market women to come from where they are to meet us at some lovely little place. We literally in a 24 hour period will turn an open market space, think Union Square, think Harlem, like the Harlem 125th Bazaar, will plop right in the center and then we'll open up like a little onion. And in that onion, we'll have blood pressure, this, this, this. And so what we were finding were a lot of the women that were coming, that were at the market, were pregnant. Either they were, they just had a baby and they were still in the market. They were eight, like seven months pregnant, hadn't been to the doctor. Mm -hmm. A lot of them were pregnant and had hypertension. Mm -hmm. And you're like, well, what did the doctor say? And they're like, I ain't seen one. Yeah. And so we started to get to this place where we wanted to figure out how do we connect our mobile clinics with a brick and mortar clinic. And we did a lot of programming in an area called Medina. And one of our volunteers, um, Dr. Selassie, was the, the, um, the director of this particular clinic. And she was like, I think our clinic would be the great, a great starting point because a lot of the people that are coming to the market are our patients. Those are the same people that we're seeing at the clinic or that, that end up coming and delivering. So we just we created this partnership with Medina Polyclinic. And in that partnership with Medina Polyclinic, it just started off as just having a space where we could refer women who were coming to our mobile clinics for them to go and get hands-on prenatal care. Then we started to realize that we wanted to go a step further. And in that step further, it was, well, how do we educate them? And what does that process look like? And then the Maternity Go Box actually came about in a way that our, one of our board members, he had gone and he was like, this clinic needs to be revamped. So I had gone to the clinic in an effort to like look at how we could revamp the clinic. And in that process, I witnessed this woman changing her child's diaper, but not changing the diaper. She was like wiping the feces off. So when you have a baby at a clinic or any place, you have to wait until the baby makes its first bowel movement mm -hmm. and urines and poops before you can leave the hospital. Any clinic, any facility, that's what they're waiting for. They just want to make sure that the baby can digest everything and has his digestive tract is intact. Um, and this woman had made, this child had made its bowel movement and she had just was like, all right, bet, moved it and put the diaper back on. And I was like, why? And I went to her and, and I guess I even went to her in some judgment because I was very much like, what are you doing? Right, right. Yeah. Cause I, and, and in a very naive way, I changed my daughter's diaper if she even passed gas. I was like, oh, girl, let's get you a new one. Like, get you something new. Get you, And that would be another reason to get you a new outfit. Like, I put a whole new outfit on her. Like, I treated my daughter like a, she she's just laying there and just poof and just start a whole new thing. So I'm looking at this woman, even though I'd been working in this community, and I know there's always a sense of, I think people always have to remember that, that we come with some preconceived notions That's about right. how things are supposed to right, be. Yeah. And... I had my preconceived notion, even though I was in this clinic, I was in this clinic as a person who was helping someone else, not as a person who would give birth in this clinic, not as a person who 
would, whose child would even be in this clinic. Right. So I didn't really, could, I, even I can say it honestly now, I hadn't really put it all together. So as I'm standing there and I was like, girl, what are you doing? Yeah. And she was like, I don't have any. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm coming here with this, like, we're supporting this clinic. We're supporting this. You don't have diapers? Like, I didn't ask that question. Like, it was like, you don't have diapers? Basic thing. Basic thing. So about. I remember I called the nurse and I was like, you didn't give this lady any diapers. And she was like, oh, we've given her diapers. And I was like, how many did you give her? She goes, we've given her a diaper. And I was like, a diaper? And I said, and you gave her how many sanitary pads? She gave her two sanitary pads and one diaper. And I was like, whoa, that's not going to work. Yeah. And I'm like doing this like weird survey around the room and I'm looking and I'm like, all of y'all just got like one diaper and a sanitary pad between the two? Wow. How do I fix this? So mm -hmm. that particular day, we just went out and bought sanitary pads and diapers. We were just like, I remember sending my program guy, William was like, Oh, but madame, where will I get them from? And I was like, figure it out. Here's the money, go get diapers. Everyone should have one pack of diaper and one sanitary pack for each one. And then I was like, well then how do we, now what's the next step? So we've done that. So we started to think through how do we get more women? So the maternity go box, the, the putting it all in this like prenatal box came as how do we want to incentivize more women to get prenatal care. When, we get, when you come in to get prenatal care and you decide to stay at the clinic and give birth at the clinic, you get this box. When you get a box and she didn't get a box, she's like, well, why did you get a box? Right. And then you now can talk to her about, well, I came to the clinic and I was getting, I came and I did all the classes and I did all that. And that word gets out. And so people start to want, not just, oh, I want to come and get care. I want that box. I want the sanitary pads, the diapers, the onesies, the soap, the cloth. I want all of that because those are all the things every mother and newborn baby needs right. after delivery. It's basic things. Right. Like she doesn't need balloons. Those are cute. <laughs> she doesn't need any of those things. What she needs is a sanitary pad. Yeah. She needs a diaper for her baby and a perineal bottle to get up in there yeah. and yeah. squirt because that stuff hurts. So yeah, so that's how the box started. Wow, that's amazing. And thank you for that journey and that eye opening, visual? that visual, yes, yes. And, and it's true, the things that we take for granted yeah. in this country. I mean, I'm thinking of the context that I set um, in terms of what we're dealing with and then sort of thinking about what's happening on the continent yeah. is, is a whole different, different thing. And, we'll, and I wanna come back to that. Um, so Antonia, I want you to do a retro. You're like, I thought I got away from there. Like flashback, flashback. It'll get wavy on the, no. <laughs> um, so you're gonna take us back to 2012 um, when your, I guess, co-founder emeritus Deborah Choi said, you know, we wanna create this community for black mothers, black women, and you were like, what led you to say, yep, yes, let's yeah. do it? Um, so around that time, I, like growing up, I loved magazines, like I was always reading something, and I had to take a break because it was giving me a complex, because what I was seeing were a lot of like white blonde girls, um, and that their beauty, their stories were more important than women, young women who look like me. So it was always in my head that when I create something, I want to create a black teen magazine. Because even to this day, there's nothing for yeah. black teenagers. Um, so I uh, went to college with Deborah, um, and she had an entrepreneurial background. So when I moved to New York, we connected. 
Um, and I was talking to her about this idea about wanting to have a platform for black teenage girls. Um, what would that look like? I'm a, I'm a writer, like how, what's the business end of things look like? Um, and around this time, there were a lot of conversations about having it all, can women have it all, and leaning in. Um, and yeah, I mean. We've had men hard. No, you need to. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so it was at this time those conversations were happening and I was like at the age where you're supposed to have the career and be on the path to find the man. If you're like in a heterosexual relationship to have the, like, to have the babies, you're supposed to be on this path. And what I was seeing was that I had to be the COO of Facebook or Hillary Clinton's right-hand woman to have work-life balance, um, which is now, I don't say that anymore, is work-life integration, because there's no such thing as like, yeah, you can't. Um, the way this system and country is set up, you, no one has work-life balance, really. Um, and so we saw this website called um, The Glow, and it was beautiful images of mothers, no people of color at all. Um, and so Deborah was like, actually, I feel like what you're talking about is more, um, we would be better serving community if we were talking to black women about work life and how do they have the careers and mothers. And I was super interested in that too because it was kind of like all this content I was reading was very fraudulent to use your words. <laughs> it's just like, you know, they're, they're in this beautiful brownstone and you ask them questions and they're just like, I just woke up here and I didn't do anything. I worked a little bit, but like, I have these beautiful kids and this beautiful husband and this beautiful, like, it was, so it was so easy. Everything was so easy. Everything was so easy. So um, I wanted to have more realistic conversations with people about, no, seriously, like, how did you do this? Um, and so it started off as an online magazine. Um, I, we found it like a really amazing photographer. You worked with him, he's amazing. Um, Jay Quasi King, I wrote all the profiles. And then in 2014, um, people started to be like, I don't really identify with these women. And I, I <laughs> And I, I was taken aback, because at that point it was just me, um, and it's all my words, so I just felt like, how, oh, so you're coming from my writing? And like, um, but when I stepped back from my ego, I realized that the very nature of someone being photographed and someone saying that your story is worth being told puts them on a level of importance that that person might not feel applies to them. Um, so like even you, yeah. like when I interviewed. Right. Right. So you were I did. I loved yeah. it. Yeah. It was the first time that someone asked me a question and I didn't feel bad about saying, this shit sucks. Yeah. I just was like, I'm sorry, I don't know if we can trust yeah. what I told uh -huh. you. But it was very much like we had an honest conversation, yeah. I think. what To your point, everything I had read up to that about motherhood and all of, and I told you, all of my girlfriends, even my black girlfriends, who I guess to some extent thought that they had to also fall in line with this preconceived notion that motherhood would be easy and smooth mm -hmm. and that you dare not tell the, about the times you cry in the dark with the baby on your breast. Mm -hmm. And I was like, no, they all lied. <laughs> all of them lied to me. Everybody lied to me. They're liars. Yeah. And when she asked me, she, we did the interview. We did like the normal interview. And then we did a video thing. And she was like, so what's it like? And I was like, these bitches are liars. Yeah. Yeah. This shit is hard. 
this yes it's beautiful but i remember having a friend who i asked what's it like and she was like you're so amazing i mean i just feel like i just feel so connected to god and i was like and so when i had the baby i was like waiting for my god connection <laughs> i was just sitting there like it's coming it's okay it's coming later it's, it's gonna come in 10 minutes i swear to god it's gonna come and it just didn't come yeah. and i was like i don't have this god-like connection I do have this tiger mom connection. I have this protective mom, but I also have this like, I'm emotionally unstable. Like if you look at me the wrong way, I might start to cry. If I look at social media and that's when Instagram had just started oh, to yeah. really pick up. Yeah. So I was like, how are they doing? How did she go outside? Every time I step outside, my breasts leak. Right. <laughs> how are you outside? And no one was telling me how they were doing the things that they were doing. And I felt like it was so so I felt like when I would read Madam Me and I would read about, you know, different moms and whether it be, you know, same sex moms, mm -hmm. any kind of mom, there was always an element of this is my hack. This is how I get through it. This is my real, real talk moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what made me feel connected to mm -hmm. it was like, oh, these women are talking to me for real. Yeah. Right. They're not. This is so amazing. <laughs> that woman. <laughs> it was just like, um, yeah, to, to what you were saying too, it's just um, people wanted to have more conversations around the realities of mothering. So, you know, it's really great that you feature this woman who has her own business, but like, how did she figure out school? Or if um, I am in a majority white um school and the curriculum like pretends that slavery didn't happen because of Texas textbooks, which is a huge thing. Right. Like how do I supplement their education? Or I want to have a home birth and when I look online, I don't see any people who look like us having home births. Like are we doing that? And if we are, how do I do that? What like how do I find a midwife? How do I find a doula? And so I just felt like I at the time I wasn't um I'm still not a mother to a child. Um but I have all this maternal energy and the energy of someone who doesn't have a kid yet. So like I will do the interviews, I will ask the questions. Yeah, I got time compared to y'all. Yeah. My baby's in the other room. Yeah. I'm praying she ain't breaking so Somebody check on that. The whole thing might be broken. Yeah. So it was just important to me to show the diversity of black women and black motherhood. Um, just because we say we're not a monolith, but we still hold ourselves to that, mm -hmm. that standard. But there are just so many different ways to exist and be black and to mother mm -hmm. and bring children into the world. Some women, you know, have vaginal deliveries. Some women have to be induced and IVF. And like, there's all these things that I felt like there wasn't, and not to toot my own horn, there still isn't a space that is talking about motherhood in that way. It's still very much like the Instagram, yeah, Instagram picture, picture. Yeah, like. version. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Uh -huh. um, so it's, it's this real deal, and, and we talk a lot about um, on my podcast when I interview other fellow founders and entrepreneurs, like the real deal of entrepreneurship, yeah. or so I, I really, the hustle, right, the, and the things that we don't talk about. So I'm really excited that we can get real here yeah. about, okay. about, yeah. about um, everything. Nothing um, but real. But nothing but real, nothing but real. All day. It's true, you hear like a lot of Oh, like it looks like a morning dew, yeah, like, and you're frolicking with your child, this? and my like, child doesn't frolic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going 
left, she stayed on right. <laughs> what is the problem? What does this look like? What does it look like yeah. for y'all? But I think that's part of every month, everybody's experience is going to be different naturally. That's just that's just realistically. Yeah. But I think what was happening and what I felt when I when I first when I had Omi, and she was born in 2013, so we had interviewed right at that point. Yeah, yeah. And I just felt that everybody's narrative was so the same. No one talked about, and, and no one even talked about the hardships of the process to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. No one Which talked I really about, appreciate that you yeah, did like too, no yeah. one said to me, you know, my process to having a Malar was not conventional. It was not like, you know, I just lay down and we just, and it was great first time. Oh, yay. Yeah. It was like yeah. time 943. Mm -hmm. It was 17 million visits to the doctors. It was all kinds of probing and propping. It was, we had, I had polyps. Mm -hmm. I didn't even know what polyps were. But it was like no one in that sphere, in that sphere was talking about it. Even mm -hmm. my own girlfriends. I would talk to a friend and be like, oh, how, you know, so, you know, congratulations. I'm so excited. Da, da, da. And it felt like no one talked about the miscarriage. Mm -hmm. No one talked about the failed IVF. Yeah. No one talked, and, and only now do I have more honest conversations with people. And I think the, the momentum has shifted a little bit and people are opening up and being a little bit more realistic. And now I can talk to a girlfriend and she'd be like, yeah, we're on our X, Y, and Z IVF trial, or we've decided that we're not gonna do, we can't do it, or I actually found out that I have a, a, a condition that I actually can't have babies. And so like all of these different things that my girlfriends never talked about before, now they're like, available now they're open and the conversations are honest and i think now we're having better dialogue about mm -hmm. it and you can find um you can find some real community yeah. in knowing that yeah. somebody exactly mm -hmm. you find yeah. some real community mm -hmm. in knowing that yeah she may be sitting there with her baby and she's all excited and, and she should should be but she does have some understanding yeah. of what yeah of how hard this is for you mm -hmm. and, and how hard you're going. And she can offer you some advice and she can, and she's willing to offer you some honest advice. Mm -hmm. Like when I- Wisdom sharing. Yeah, yeah. wisdom sharing. Yeah. And mm -hmm. a lot, for the earlier half of um, this process for me, no one was sharing anything. I remember when I, I got my polyps, the polyps removed, even when the doctor said to me, so my situation was that, and I'm open to tell about it. My husband always is like, uh, I'll take the mic. The I gotta take the, the mic, mic too, dad. Yeah. Um, it was that um, I have been ovulating my whole time as a, a child, up, you know, when you get your, your cycle up until, but I don't produce viable eggs. But I ovulate like, like clockwork. Every month I will ovulate and just boom but they were not always viable eggs. And so we were going through this process and going through this process and it just wasn't working. And we were looking at each other like, well, what's the problem? And then they said to us, oh, your eggs aren't viable. And I remember the doctor said it was so like, she was like, your like eggs are so cavalier. She was like, oh, I, she was like, oh, I get it. Your eggs aren't viable. I was like, pardon me, lady, why you're like, thank you. And then we went through the process, but there was no one else to talk to because it felt like all my friends before who had babies, when you would go to say, you know, what was it like? They would just be like, I, just, I mean, yeah. it was just like, I don't, what do you mean? What was yeah. it like? Like, it's, it, you're like, oh, you're not going to be honest. Or, and maybe they didn't have that experience, which is fine. But just say, wow, we didn't have that experience. It was easier for us or thankfully it was easier for us and we didn't go through that. But talk to me about yours and what are you going through and do you need help? How do you need someone to talk to? 
and you just felt like there was no one else to talk to. And so when we finally got to the place where, you know, we could have only, now when people ask me, I'm like, all of my viable eggs is right there. That's it. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, um, She's sitting right yeah. there in the top. Yeah. I just like the lack of, um, <laughs> of community and motherhood in general, like yeah. this idea. And maybe you can talk about what it, what it's like in Ghana, but um, I feel like American motherhood is so individualistic and that you just like, the doors close and it's just you, your partner if you have one and your kid and you can't ask for help. Like no one, whenever someone sees a baby crying on the train, they're all looking at the like mom, the like mom, she's like, like a like mess. She, and it's like, there's no culture of no being supportive of like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like, get it right, and when you mess it up, we will be the first to tell you that you messed mess it up, but we won't be there to support you on the way to this like big mm -hmm. revelation, right. yeah. No, it's, just, it's, it's not similar in Ghana in that way, because what, what is happening on the continent is that culturally, we do not talk about the birthing process. Mm. Okay. We do, yeah, culturally, we do not, if a woman is pregnant in Ghana, she will, or if, I can speak for Ghana and, and say for most West African countries, she is hidden. She is under her wrap. She is not to be touched. She's there's this there's not this like, oh my God, let me feel the baby cake. Don't touch her. Don't she's not even allowing it. And those are just those are some cultural things around energy and spirits and and how we even how we even come to name our children is not even like you give birth and you name it. We wait a whole week before we name the child because we want to see what your energy is, what your spirit like who what child is this? Mm -hmm. And then who are we going to name the child after? And so that I find the same thing happens where no one is talking about the difficulties of childbirth, of child making or becoming pregnant. And what will happen though, to the contrary, is that we do come as a community once the baby is born. Right, yeah. Once the baby is born, the community rallies around you. When Omalara was born, my mom and my aunties were in that house so fast. My mom was in the hospital with me. She was, I mean, the doctor couldn't even touch me. My mom had wrapped me up, my <laughs> stomach. She had, forget the belly bandage, she had her cloth from her bag. <laughs> pulled it out and was like, Pew. I was like, oh, okay, you're ready. <laughs> she already knew how I should sit down. She knew how I should get my, like, pass certain things out of my body. She, she was so on it. My aunties, by the time we got home, were already in the house. They bathed Omalar for the first, almost, I want to say my mom bathed Omalar for the first two and a half months. Oh, right. Solely. It was and she her. stayed with you for And time? she stayed with us for a year. And she oh. bathed Omalara like that was her. And all the and all the Americans are like. And all the Americans are like, your mother-in-law stayed in, your mom stayed in the house. My mom stayed in the house with us, and my husband didn't even blink to be like, what? I mean, he had one moment where she was bathing her in the traditional way. So the traditional way we bathe is like, you put your feet into the tub or whatever, you lay the baby here, okay. and the baby's then resting on and the baby's legs. resting on your legs, okay. and there is like piping hot water, oh. piping like kill a chicken hot water. <laughs> then there's like warm water and then there's like, and, and then there's this, the rag with the soap. And my mom is digging and she's got this piping hot water and she has the rag in and she does this thing. And my husband's like, that water's too hot. He was like, Ma, that water's too hot. And she just looked at him and was if like, don't get out of here. And she put that water on the baby's back and just like massaged it down. And Omi just pooped out. <laughs> it was 
the most amazing thing. I was like, did she just poop on your leg? <laughs> and she did that and she was like, yes, this is how you control, make sure they have steady bowels. And everything she did had a rhythm and had a reason why she did things, why she held her legs and moved her legs when she was young. She's like, you know, children who, these, they're so young and people keep them so tight and bundled up, they don't get to really exercise their legs. Right. So you pull her legs, move her legs, stretch her arms. My mom was doing all these things. I was like, girl, get her. I'm taking a nap. <laughs> I'm taking a nap, mom. But I realized that a lot of people didn't have that. And right. they're like trying to nurse and do this and do that. And I was like, nah, yeah. let these old people come in. <laughs> you want me to eat this soup? What is it, goat? I'll drink this goat soup all day long. Soup. I drink that goat soup. Legit. My mother was like, you drink goat soup for breast milk. I was like, no problem. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No. That's funny. Whatever you say. It's interesting because I know, Antonia, you have interviewed um, holistic doulas and like, like Latham Thomas from Mama Glow. And so I was curious about what do you notice here in the States in terms of black women, in terms of being receptive to you know, ancestral, ancestral traditions, having doulas, using yeah. doulas, like is that something that we're yeah in doing, warming up to. Yeah. And it's because it's a life or death situation. Um, the great thing about all this reporting around the high black maternal mortality rate and the infant mortality rate is that we know that this is happening, but there hasn't been, um, uh, sorry, uh, there hasn't been an interest in how do we fix that. We just, we say that there's a problem, but we don't, talk about like how to fix it. And doulas um, are a big reason uh, to, to um, yeah, work with a doula and have that kind of support. Uh, they advocate for you. A lot of doctors um, from just testimonies and articles that I've read and interviewed people, um, they're very focused on the task at hand and the task at hand can be dehumanizing. So you, they don't see the person, they see the situation. And so it's easier to understand that, oh, I need an emergency C-section if someone has like been guiding you throughout the entire process that that's, this is something that could happen. And instead of being like, go, 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 go. Do you want the baby to die? Or like, do you want to die? Like what, what's going on? What's yeah, going on? Like, ah. It's like, ah. So having um, a doula who's advocating for you, who's there with you at your appointments, who can speak for you when you like personally don't feel like you can speak up or if you have questions. Um, it's like a life or death situation for many people. And it's scary too, because not everyone is going to have that negative experience, but with um, that stress, which is a big part of a lot of our negative outcomes, um, it, it just gets you like agitated and anxious about the process, which doesn't help either. So having someone who's offering that emotional support to be like, no, it's okay. Um, you don't have to worry, I got this. I'll talk to them for you. Um, it's it's really important to have that kind of support. And also why a lot of women are deciding to have home births as well. It's just like, let me just remove myself from the system entirely um, and be with people who support me. And, and um, I'm not having a bunch of residents in like the space with me, or you know, I know that my care provider is gonna be my care provider the day that I give birth. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. 
That's interesting. Um, yeah, and I wanted to talk about, um, you mentioned stress, and so we know that, you know, not just our individual stress, our personal stress, but also societal stress and sort of things like structural racism and also biases in healthcare can impact our health outcomes. So I was curious, um, I wanted to ask you personally as a mother and then what you know from the community, did you have any experiences, you know, we, we, we know of like Beyonce and Serena Williams, you know, the, the famous people mm -hmm. that are having these experiences and then they get reported, then there are also women like us who are maybe having experiences and maybe they're not yeah. as widely known. Yeah. So I don't know, did you have any instances where you thought like either the doctor wasn't like listening to you or not paying attention or that might have had some kind of bias in, in um, health Thankfully I didn't and mm -hmm. I didn't for very clear uh, and I this is also about privilege I guess to mm -hmm. some extent mm -hmm. is that my doctor who I love to bits Dr. Marion Green shout out Dr. Green pop out <laughs> um, she's been my doctor since I was like 20 something wow. and she was my OBGYN and I knew because she was my OBGYN since I was in my 20s, that if I ever gave birth, wherever I was in the world, I was coming back to Dr. Green. I had that in my head. So when my, my husband was like, she's not in our network, I was like, I don't know what that means. <laughs> so I don't know what you're saying. Stop talking to me this way. It's just not working out. And I'm epileptic. So the other piece is that I'm also epileptic. And so because Dr. Green was my doctor since my 20s, she had seen me through all of my epileptic seizures. She had seen me through how certain medications had affected me, had affected my body, how certain, you know, uh, birth control had caused more seizures. So I was like, Dr. Green knows me and my vagina better than you know me and I know my <laughs> vagina. So what we're not gonna do, because she's not in network, is box her out because you ain't got no money. I don't know what to say. And I had this conversation and my husband was so mad and he was like, yo, every time you go to this doctor, she is like $500, $400 every time you walk in. I was like, well, you should call her and get on a payment plan because I'm giving birth with yeah. Dr. Green. And I went to another doctor and, and to your point, I went to a doctor who, because I was like, let me find, I'll go to one in network. And I found a doctor in network. And there is a certain level of rapport that I need to have with my doctor that when I walked into that doctor's visit, that kind of, I just didn't feel it. Yeah. And I was clear because I am epileptic. I have, I already know coming into this game, if these lights flicker two ways, too many ways, I will have a seizure. So I'm always in a state of what does it look like? How do I react? How do I deal? And so I'm talking to this doctor and she was just really medical. Yeah, she was just like really medical. And I was like, oh, this isn't gonna work. And I said to my husband, I said, I tried. I really did try, but this isn't gonna work because this particular doctor, and I think what will happen is that all doctors will be very medical. They will see me as an epileptic and they will wanna deal with this pregnancy from that perspective right. and not, not deal not. with me as Nana. And they don't know how I've managed to, to control my seizures. They don't know how I've been real adamant about not taking medication, certain medications to manage my seizures because I was like, I don't want the repercussions to be on when I have a child. And so I can't see anybody else. And I remember talking to him and through it and I said, and, and once I had that, he was okay with it and he realized, all right, she, 
she's the one delivering, yeah. so she has to be comfortable. Yeah. So with Dr. with that with Dr. Green, it was amazing because I could pick up the phone. I had every single phone number. And she just, some things I would call and be like, oh my God, I just read in this book. And she'd be like, put that fucking book down. <laughs> I'm tired of you in these stupid books, those stupid how to be a mom books. That woman knows nothing, put it down. And I would stop and then I would pick, I'd find something else. And I'd be like, Dr. Green, I Google something. She was like, you don't get your medical degree. Oh. Like she would just curse me out like my mom would curse. And that was the rapport I needed. So yeah, when it came time to, we had the consistency and care. And so when it came time to, to deliver, and I delivered after Hurricane Sandy. Oh, wow. So we were supposed to deliver at NYU and then we were gonna be taken to Lenox and then taken to something else. And I was like, Dr. Green, whatever clinic, whatever place I go, you have to be the one. Mm -hmm. And she assured me that wherever I went, she would make sure that she was the doctor to deliver. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, we're gonna figure that out. And so she said, these are the places that I can deliver. Mm -hmm. So let's make sure that we can go in one of these three places. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully we were able to deliver at NYU. And I had an incident at NYU where I was in, we got there, I was in contraction, I was having contractions. I remember getting off the elevator and this nurse was walking ahead of me and I was like right in the middle of a contraction. So I had stopped to kind of manage through it. Mm -hmm. And she looked at me and was like, can you hurry up? And I was like, <laughs> oh shit. And my husband, and my husband's super quiet and he was like, he walked ahead of me. He was like, she's coming. My mom started talking to me and Tree telling me how much she hated this woman already. <laughs> and I was like, I can't believe she said that. But my husband was also in tune with the kind of care that I needed. Mm -hmm. I, that lady didn't even take my blood pressure. Mm -hmm. She got into the room with us. She started putting the sleeve off of my blood pressure. And he stepped out. He called Dr. Green, told Dr. Green, whoever this nurse was, she had to get out of the room right now. Dr. Green called the, she called the hospital because she hadn't gotten there yet. Another nurse comes in and says, you know, we'll take over from here. Mm -hmm. And that one lady left and we were there with that. And I was like, perfect. Yeah. And it was seamless because he was like, I knew she wasn't going to make it. And I was like, facts, <laughs> facts. Wow. And so I, I, I understand because they, oh, there's a perception that black women can handle pain. Right. And that if we're going through something, it's like, can you hurry up? Mm -hmm. Can you go through it? Yeah. But it's about advocating. And I don't know, you know, the Beyonce situation or the Serena Williams situation at, at, at heart, but it, I think at the base of it, it always comes around people not realizing that we have these feelings and we're in tune we're with human. our, and we're human yeah. and I'm in tune with my body, but I'm also very, very open about mm -hmm. if I don't like your energy, you're not going to be here. Yeah. Come out. I'll do this by myself. Right, right. right. Have you messed this up? Right. So what I'm learning is Dr. Green. Dr. Green. <laughs> NYU. NYU. And, um, but, but seriously, so An Antonia, what, what have you heard from women in the modern Maya community about their experiences, either before, during, or after childbirth? I love about your story <laughs> is that it just, yeah, no, but it just seems, it sounds like, you had someone advocating for you at every step of the way. You had like a support team. And that's like something that a lot of women don't yeah. realize that they need mm -hmm. um, and don't feel like empowered to, to ask those questions, right. to be like, no, actually, can you get out of the room? Can you bring this person in? Like, I'm gonna go to this place, I'm gonna do that research. Um, a lot of women on the site have shared traumatic birth stories where, um, 
they there's like a lot of stereotypes around black women's fertility that w black women are super hyper fertile and that stems from I mean, I always say like the short answer is racism, racism and the racism. long answer is racism. racism. <laughs> like, it's always racism. Um, but it stems from slavery and when black women were, you know, used to for breeding and to keep slavery going um, and that they weren't, they were mammies, but they weren't mothers. Mm -hmm. uh, so they were able to, you know, watch over white children, but they were very detached from their own children. And that goes into the welfare queen stereotypes that like isn't a thing but go on um and so you're you're going into these systems that already feel like they know who you are and know what you're about so i've had some women who are like i make sure to wear my wedding ring and make sure that it's mm -hmm. very prominent so that they know that i'm not a like a single, single, black, mother. single black mother um right. there was a woman who um ended up miscarrying her first uh pregnancy and um, she was in her 20s, she wasn't sure, like, she's like, I know I need an OB, like, let me find one who my insurance takes, which is like another issue. Um, and it was in this kind of like, she said it was like a mill, like there were just like all these women, pregnant women that they were just like, uh, here's your blood pressure, here's this, here's that, get out, get out. Um, and so when it was her turn, the doctor uh, looked at her levels and was just like, this isn't looking good. And she was like, like what do you mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want the record so that is not Dr. Green. But yeah, just like this is her first pregnancy and this woman assumed that she had been pregnant before and that she knew the language and she was just like, This isn't looking good. Um, don't like basically don't get attached to this pregnancy. Um, and she ended up miscarrying uh, weeks later, um, and she went to a different hospital and it was a similar thing where it's just like oh she's miscarrying like let's get her through this process um and not let's get this woman who like desperately wanted this child right. like was ready to be a mother and is losing that child and has to like you know process that loss like let's treat her like a human be a human being with um some dignity there's like a lot of there's a lack of empathy mm -hmm. throughout the entire process and to what you were saying about like Black people not feeling pain. They're, like doctors actually believe that, that that we don't feel pain the same way that white patients do. Um, my dad almost died uh, because he was um, getting some kind of uh, work done. They intubated him. He stopped breathing, and they didn't notice because his skin didn't turn blue. And they told him that when they woke him up, like someone noticed, and they were like, "Oh, Mr. Akatunde, like." <laughs> We didn't notice because you didn't turn blue. And he's like, okay, so now I'm I'm a joke. I'm a joke. My life is a joke. And that's why there's just like all these right. things yeah, that like, yeah, that's what you were waiting for? Really? Not looking at machines? Not looking? Okay. All right. Um, so it's that kind of stress and a lack of support and um, not having access to more thoughtful, more... Um, caring people that that uh, causes traumatic birth experiences and that leads to awful postpartum experiences too where black women like we are olympic winners for all the shitty things like it's not it's not fun like or it is fun and we but we like we have, we, a, lot we have a lot of things like that even the postpartum conversation is around you know who do you tell that you're depressed? As black women, we, as black people on the, off the cusp, we don't talk about depression. No. We don't talk about mental health, mm -hmm. mental health issues 
without I mean, called it the D word. Uh, exactly. I don't want to say I'm the D, D word. word. And you want to be like, what? You mean depressed? Depressed. <laughs> you can say you're depressed. Dark, dark skin. What's what's your word, Ma? <laughs> what, what, what is your D word? word? Um, but we don't talk about these issues. And so even when I even told my mom that you know this was, I was like, this is hard. She started to be like, it's going to be hard. And then she started to open up. And that's only after my mom being around me long enough to know that. I'm going to keep probing for these kinds of answers because I can't be the only one feeling this way yeah. that she started to, to talk about stuff. And then my auntie started to talk about stuff. And then I was like, oh, OK, so it's not depression is not a bad thing. It's just a feeling that you're going through because your body just changed. Yeah. Your things are going through. You're, you're having things happen to you. And, and if you continue to feel this way, let's, it's OK to get help. Mm -hmm. And that was something that as as people of color, I don't even think it's just black people, I think oh, it's yeah. people of color, Asian, Hispanic, we just don't talk about this inability to manage it all. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you wanna just be like, yo, I can't catch any of these balls juggling them. <laughs> they all fit to drop, <laughs> all of them. So what do you think of the episode so far? What are your main takeaways? Before we jump into the next segment, I have a question for you. What's at stake for your health if you continue living your current routine? The thing is, we get so used to doing things in the same ways, we're actually more afraid to make changes than we are to live out our worn out routines, even if they are causing us to feel ill, stressed, or overwhelmed. Can you imagine what it would be like to wake up in the morning and not have it hurt when you get out of bed and to feel excited about your day? It is possible when you start within, and I'd like to help you do it. You can visit my website, startwithincoaching.com, and at the top, click Start Here to schedule your complimentary activation call. We can talk about what's going on in your life right now, how you are in your health, and where you would like to be. So go to startwithincoaching.com and click start here to start your journey within. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good segue because I wanted to have a conversation about self-care um, with you to, um, because as as black women, as people of color, right, like that sense of hypervigilance, right, that not just, again, what's happening in our personal lives, but what's happening around us society, in society can affect us, um, our stress levels as well. So how do each of you take care of yourselves mentally and or physically? Mm. <laughs> They're like, wait, go to her first. <laughs> when you sent her in the questionnaire, I was like, I know the answer. I, I know what I'm supposed to yes. say. Yes, right. I took a bath. I took a bath. That is my answer. Yeah. The fact that if I can get up out of bed and get mm -hmm. to a place where I can get her set up, my husband's out, and I can get into the shower and take a bath, mm -hmm. and I can put my makeup on and get dressed in the way that makes me feel halfway decent, mm -hmm. then I'm like, I am, I, I literally, I, those are my wins. I take small functional wins. Did yeah. I not forget the keys? <laughs> Did I like walk out of the door 
and leave the keys inside. Yeah. Damn, that is not a win today. <laughs> so these are small wins. I don't have the kind of like I go to the spa. Mm -hmm. I don't do any of those things. Right. I don't have the. I don't do any of those. I just. I remember that it's okay to cry. Mm -hmm. I cry mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. <laughs> in the shower, which is why it's important. That's <laughs> so, water. That's the water it's can cleanse me. Yeah, exactly. But I don't have that. So I remember when I saw that question, I was like, I don't. I know this, like, to your point, yeah. I know this is There's amazing answer. The real thing is, I cry, mm -hmm. I say it's okay to cry, and I'm like, let's keep it moving. You did that, let's go next. And I put my face on and I go. Mm -hmm. Well, this is real, and this and real. and there's there are no right or, or wrong, wrong answers. Okay, cool. Really, I, like, I mean, yeah, yeah. 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 The Instagram what, answer. Yeah. What's your Instagram answer? Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, no, and, and that's, I mean, crying is... Crying's... I cry. That's, it's relief. I love it. it it's my favorite. It crying and naps. And naps. I love oh. a nap. That's something you told me when I interviewed yeah. you. You were like, take all the naps. Take them while you can. I was like, oh, I love naps. I, oh, I got to get them in. Um, no, when I'm in a really bad way is like how I, I talk about like my, my D word period. <laughs> Um, therapy. I, I think therapy is so important. Um, I was seeing a therapist last um, year, and it's ironic because it was like, I thought it was bad then, and then it got a lot worse <laughs> after I stopped seeing her. But her big thing was um, like the negative self-talk that you have. You need to put it down, write it down, and then write three irrefutable facts that counter that. So for example, I would be like, oh, I'm dumb. Like I, I would have an encounter that would make me feel really dumb or little. And so I would write it down and then the three facts, because for me it's very easy to be like very dismissive of anything. Like the mm -hmm. fact that you even want to interview me, I'd be like, eh, yeah. <laughs> like who wants to talk to me? Um, but I would write like, I went to the University of Chicago. I went to Northwestern. A lot of people think I'm smart. <laughs> like, and those are the three facts and like let me sit with that and that, I can't say that it 100% always pushes the negative voice away, but it's made me more intentional about the thoughts that I have and like the things that you think become the reality and like what kind of reality do I want to create? Is it one where it's just like dark and gloomy and I'm the worst part of the world ever? Or is it one where I'm doing important work and creating a lovely life in a lot of ways. It might not look exactly what I want to all the time, but it's not, you know, it's not the worst. Not the worst. Yeah. <laughs> right, and that's the real thing. And the negative self-talk, I mean, I have, I have it too, right? Yeah. That sense of, and I think both in the interview I listened to uh, when you talked about um, the social media and the scrolling, right? Like that's, oh, that's my oh, thing, so yeah. knowing that, Perfect. shut it down if i'm not if i'm not high-fiving you and saying modern may is awesome exactly. and african health now if once I'm just scrolling through to just watch you yeah. on the beach of mexico uh, okay. and then i realized somebody told me it was funny back then i just was like i just don't understand how they could do all these things and one day my girlfriend was like she did all that in a day i was like there was no way she was like, you just get multiple outfits yep. and you take a picture in the middle of the street in the meatpacking district. <laughs> I know exactly what that street is. And she was like, and you take that picture, then you get in your, then you go to the next location. So it's like a photo shoot. Yeah. I was like, what? And it was like having produced photo shoots forever. I just thought social media, people were really living yeah. those realistic lives. And someone would be like, 
oh, when did you get back from Mexico? And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, no. Three it, months ago. She's like, oh, girl, that was last year. I held that picture. I was like, you, oh, oh, no longer am I yeah. scrolling through this yeah. with this sense of envy and like what's happening and oh my God, mm -hmm. I'm missing out. I'm not a good mom. My kid doesn't eat that. And all these things were like, mm -hmm. this is all fraudulent. Yeah, this no, whole thing is fraudulent. Mm -hmm. The whole thing's fraudulent. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna post our picture next year. Watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the episode is already aired. <laughs> it's and, and it looked like we were being interviewed again. Yeah. But like, just cause I'm just I'm gonna start being fraudulent. I'm start I'm gonna post my pregnancy picture. <laughs> it's like your second kid. My like second that. kid. And let that sit for nine months. Until I then be like, that's when I realized, I was like, yo, social media is a trap. Yeah, and right. if you are home, as a new mom, mm -hmm. I was home for the first four months and that's all I had. I had this baby and I had my bad thoughts and I was scrolling and scrolling. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm just not living my life. I just can't believe <laughs> And I was just yeah. spiraling. It's so isolated. It was so isolated. Yeah. And my girlfriend was like, girl. She took, and then she was like, and all those outfits was rented. I was like, <laughs> brand sponsorship. Yeah. Rent the runway. That's yeah. when Rent the Runway oh, came oh out. And God. I was like, <laughs> are you serious? Oh, she was like, girl, she still owned them same leggings. I was like, yes, I feel good. I'm also in the same leggings. So, yeah, so it's all perspective. Yeah. It's all perspective, and that is what I'm learning. That's my self-care perspective. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. And thank you for the real, real, because we said we were going to keep it real. We're going to keep it real. So the other, the one question that I ask all of my guests because of the podcast, which is what does Start Within mean to you? So I'd love to hear what each of you think oh, about that. Who'd like to go first? Antonia's gonna go. Antonia, yes. go <laughs> um, I think start within um, means having love of self, having knowledge of self, um, so that you're not looking for external validation for your existence. Um, something my mom always says is like, which this is pre-Instagram, so it's very analog, <laughs> but she was like, don't judge where you are by someone else's calendar. Like. They might look like they're a lot further ahead than you, but you're right where you're supposed to be. And if you have confidence, if you have uh, a sense of who you are, you won't let other people's movements um, upset you. Uh, so to your point about like the ladies who, <laughs> who batch a bunch of photos, it's like, that's cool that they're doing that. I know that I don't want to do that. <laughs> and so knowing that that's not for me doesn't take away that that's working for them. Right, 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 it's just, right. it doesn't work for, right. for me. It could be the way that they're managing their, their time. Yeah, time. yeah. That's totally great. Yeah. Was, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's what start with from within means to me is like having internal um, self-knowledge so that you're not like, oh, but so-and-so is doing that and they're doing that and I should do that, but I don't want to do that, right. but should I be doing that? Yeah. Um, it, it keeps you grounded and yeah, in your personal mission. I think I'm gonna take her answer. <laughs> Can we take that? Like buy I'll buy a vowel and add that vowel to whatever her last word, because that's exactly what I'm gonna go with. No, I actually interpreted it differently, and I was like, start within for me really meant that the idea, I had to buy into whatever my goal is. 
and if and once I bought into it within me, then I would then it didn't matter if you bought into it. Yeah. And I think that's what was and I yeah, I was just like, if I buy into it, that's solid. I believe in it Then I'm going to make this happen. And selling you is not necessary actually <laughs> so yes that's we're my start there you go and i would say as founders right uh -huh. that sense of you yeah. you starting with the idea yeah. and then bringing and it then bring forth it yeah. exactly it's great to see when people who are meant to connect with it connect with it yeah like i had a postpartum event last week and it looked like no one was coming. And I was like, oh my gosh, all these other people are having events and there's all these ladies with their Prosecco, like having a great time. And oh, like, <laughs> it started spiraling. And so I contacted the person I was co-partnering um, on this event with and I was like, I think we should just cancel it. We should cancel it. No one's bought any tickets, no one's coming. Look, let's not do it. And then I closed the event bright and someone messaged me and was like, oh, can I get on the wait list? Like, is it sold out? I wanted, I wanted to come. And I was like, okay. And then I got there and the entire room was full of women who needed this like information that I was giving about, you know, postpartum and um, the fourth trimester and how to thrive, how to set up boundaries if you don't want your mom or mom-in-law with you for a year. Um, but that's an American thing, maybe. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, I, I believe in that. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so awesome. Um, so we want to give time actually for our audience in case anyone has any questions um, to ask either one of our guests before we close out this podcast. saying about the raw and vulnerable conversations about our process, the things that we don't talk about. Why do you think that is and how can we become more comfortable at just like being open and being more honest about our journeys? Yeah. Um, I think for me, I know it, it, it's cultural. A lot of it is cultural and it's only, and I think the process is to just say it. Um, I remember when I first got diagnosed with epilepsy, my mother, you would have thought like I had the plague. My mother was like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> and I was like, but you do know that I will have a seizure at somebody else's house. <laughs> How are we going to explain that, mommy? And she was so adamant, like, don't tell anybody. Don't, and she, I remember she told everyone in the house, my dad, my siblings, she was like, <laughs> We will deal with it. And I was like, no, it don't work that way. So I remember going to my aunt's house and I was like, I'm epileptic. And then everybody was like, Say what? what? <laughs> I was like, what's that? Well, it's out. Let's figure this out from there. But I think that, I mean, I say that in jest, but in reality, it's like the only way. It's like, so until you shout, I'm depressed. Like, you imagine if you're at a brunch, that, that brunch with your girlfriends, and everyone is like making their face and they're all like happy, happy. And you're like, yo, bitch, I am depressed. Yeah. And they all will stop and be like, whoa, okay, she is, that's our friend calling out. But we never say it. Every time someone says, how you doing? You're like, I'm good, girl. Yeah. How's it going? I'm good, girl. <laughs> it's going. I'm on the struggle bus. What does the struggle bus actually mean? Like, say it, get out, say the word. And I think that's how the conversation starts because you will be so surprised to find that two people next to you are in the same bus mm -hmm. and they are equally as scared of saying it out loud that they're struggling. 
and they are waiting for someone to be the one. And it's like, if we all just sit around and just pretend, then it won't happen. Yeah. But somebody's got to just shout it out. Yeah, it's, like, it's building that community yeah. to feel safe, to, to have those kind of messy conversations. Um, I think to your point that it is cultural, that there's like an idea of what a woman is supposed to be. Um, that's like consistently been someone who keeps everything inside, like has to be pretty, has to like look nice, like, yeah. <laughs> um, and you, you're not supposed to say the thing that is bothering you because Nigerian um, American, someone's had it worse than you. So like, don't even talk about it. Like I came here to this country by myself. I couldn't be a college student. You got to be a college student. Like don't come to me complaining about feeling sad. Like what's sad? Like go to church, talk to Jesus. Like, do not talk to me about being sad. Um, but I, I also like you um, just say the thing um, and find by saying what I need, I get the support that I, I need as well. Um, so I'm having the conversation, I'm building community with people, and then they're like, oh, like you're sad? Talk to this person, or oh, um, like I'm dealing with infertility, and I'm like talking to people about that. And they're like, oh, I know somebody you should talk to. Someone told me about a shaman. I was like, cool. cool. Yeah, like, I'll go to a shaman, like, <laughs> but like I wouldn't know about that shaman if I hadn't say anything. anything. Um, so yeah, I think it's um, building community and spaces where you feel safe to talk. Um, because there are some places that aren't safe to talk to and people. And once you say it, you yeah. know. Like, and then you also know how to weed down your circle. Yeah, yeah, because not everybody, not is, everybody for is, you. is for you yeah. in that moment when you're like, I'm depressed or I'm having infertility. And they be like, girl, you, and somebody can, they will, they will show themselves yeah. in such a way that you can just be like, check. And no, don't and need you in my circle unfollow. anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're mute. off mute, unfollow, <laughs> delete, delete, blocked. <laughs> yeah. And and at this age, and I think in this time in our life where our mental health is so important, it becomes kind of like I am actually okay with unfollowing you. I know we have been friends since I was five. Mm -hmm. We ain't friends no more. Yeah. And I'm good with it because I know now that you are not for me. Yeah. And that's because I said something and you responded. Yeah. yeah. Or you put people in like different circles, yeah. like, oh, this is like, you know, tier A where I'm talking about infertility and um, IVF and da 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 da. And then this is tier C where I'm like, hey, girl. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> and like, you don't need to know that I don't like you mess don't with you like that, that anymore. Like, but Bye. like, I don't mess with you like that I don't anymore. Know. You don't know. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh, my God. And that, and that was the other reason uh, when we talk about the real, and I know we kind of kidded, kidded about it, but um, for me, my goal, I have the hashtag disrupt strong, which is really about how do we disrupt the strong black woman myth, which is I think underlying some, yeah. there's the cultural piece and then there's that sort of piece of, we are supposed to hold it all down and we're not supposed to talk about how we, how we feel. And, and so I think that, I'm sort of on that side of also trying to disrupt that yeah. narrative and keep yeah. keep the stories real. Like a lot of the stuff that we give ourselves credit for, like strong black woman and black don't crack, like it cracks. It cracks. <laughs> like, I read something that said that black women are seven years older biologically than white women because of the weathering and stress of racism and like, but we're saying we don't crack. Like we're cracking and we need to like, <laughs> we need to acknowledge that and um, work on what not cracking looks like, you know, yeah. like it, it's not, 
It's not as simple as like, I look fabulous on the outside and I'm so strong, but on the inside, I'm like seven years older than, <laughs> than everybody. And like, you know, have hypertension, like, you know, obesity. There's just so many things that we take on that we don't need to, so. Mm -hmm. Another question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I'm Jana Renstrom. I'm actually an o a former OBGYN. I think I know Dr. Green, by the way. <laughs> you just did a great advertisement if, you're st if she's still working. <laughs> um, anyway, um, I'm also sort of on the fringes of a, um, um, a group that's working to implement the new policy, which was, uh, I believe, spearheaded by um, Sherilyn McRae um, on establishing uh, uh, prenatal uh, home visits, prenatal and postnatal home visits in New York. I mean, they've already been happening, but the, now they're trying to like combine everything into one new revised solid program. And uh, we're about to have some focus group interviews um, with providers and with clients. And I think since you two ladies have great insight, um, what do you think we should rec you know, focus on? I mean, maternal mortality among black women in New York City is apparently about 12 times higher than it is for white women. And uh, we know that some of the underlying factors are chronic illness, such as um, hypertension and obesity, uh, diabetes. Um, but it, it, do you think there's something else that we should focus on during these home visits? I guess before I even answer that, I think the home visit is a pre pre delivery postnatal visit, post post postnatal and postpartum. Oh, okay. And I, I've, from a non medical perspective, I think what what ends up happening or what I what would be ideal is in these home visits. We're not a culture for home visits. One in the U.S. The U.S. is not a culture for home visits. The U.S., it's kind of like when, I, I even think back when I was a preschool teacher and I tried to do a home visit, it almost felt as if I was checking in to see if you were living properly or, or coming in a very social worker, coming to grade this space. And I think before the home visit can happen, what has to happen is there has to be some education and some cultural education by those who are doing the visiting and those who you're going to visit so they understand how to receive you. And in that, will then create an opportunity where when you come into the home and you start asking the type of questions that you need to ask to get um, to provide the care that it is met with open arms um, i know this seems it's probably less clinical than you might have wanted a response but it for people of color coming into my home it is a very special and private thing and we do not allow every and every person into our home in the american culture we have not had doctors doing home visits since the 19-something, or 50s, I think, if, if at best. Um, and so if you're coming into my house, there has to be some education that's being done from both the medical practitioner and from a patient perspective that lets me understand, that allows me to put my guard down so that I can receive you in my home in, in that way. And in that, I think that's probably your key thing, is there's a cultural disconnect between patients and doctors. There's a, there's a language that we don't speak. There's a, uh, you know, 
and I can laugh about Dr. Green, everyone doesn't have a relationship with their doctor the way I have a relationship with my doctor. And until you create a relationship that is at least, um, what's the word I'm looking for? That, that has no, like I don't feel like I can't ask you anything. Yeah, yeah. There's a rapport, like yeah. I don't feel like, there's no question that I can't send an image of myself to be like, Dr. Green, what's that? Yeah. What's this? And she's like, I'm sorry, you know, but everyone will not have that, but something similar to that can be created so that when you come into the home, when you come in, whoever that practitioner is, whoever that social worker is, whoever that caregiver is, I can feel comfortable to open myself up and to let myself, my guard down to show you what's really the, the cultural things, the economic things that are bothering me. I can really open myself up to be like, it's the hypertension you'll figure out is from my food. You'll see from my food, you'll then realize, well, if you came to visit me on this block, where's the nearest Whole Foods or where's the nearest stop and shop and what does that stop and shop look like? How much money do I have? Is there someone else in the home? Do I have support from my husband, my partner, my whomever that is? Am I getting family support? All of those things will reveal itself if I'm open to receive you. Mm -hmm. But if I come into the gate like, what you coming to my house for? Right. And you're coming in here with this space like, I'm coming to help. Mm -hmm. I wanna help, I wanna figure it out. You won't know how to ask the right questions and I won't know how to let you see the real answers. I hope that makes sense. That was perfect. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, no, that was perfect. Um, I think having like um, to piggyback off yeah. your experience as well, that consistency so that it's not just like, okay, so I'm gonna see you for three visits before and three visits after. Like how can you have a relationship with them that built off of um, the visits? So is it like a regular phone call or is it, um, text messaging, like meeting people where they are and where they're willing to be, to your point about like, maybe a home visit isn't ideal um, for somebody until they feel like they know you, or even um, something that I don't think people talk enough about is um, domestic abuse. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe you don't want someone in your house because you don't want them to see what your situation is, but you need that support. Um, I, feel as, I feel like there needs to be a lot of pre-work done before the, the first home visit and in between. Um, so yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Awesome. So before we close out um, the, this event tonight, I wanted for you to share, each of you to share how our listeners can learn more about the work that you're doing, perhaps for AHN, maybe volunteer, get involved, Matamaya, how do I like learn, subscribe, all those things? Um, for AHN, you can always visit us on our website, which is africanhealthnow.org, and follow us on social media, which the Instagram, the Twitter, all have the same thing. It's at African Health NW. Um, our volunteer opportunities in the US are a little limited because we do a lot of our programming in Ghana, but we are for our maternity box, we are always looking for people to donate um, sanitary pads, diaper, unused, naturally. I, I hope I have something. When I said sanitary pads, I was like, please preface that for somebody's <laughs> sure. We're yeah, always like, there's always like, one person like, what kind of, what is this, recyclable? No. Um, we're always looking for unopened diapers, sanitary pads. If you have gently used onesies or fresh onesies, we have a really cool, um, uh, baby registry on Amazon that you can also check out and, and purchase things that go into the box that we then ship to Ghana to provide to the mothers um, there as well. And, you know, 
follow us on those social handles because we host events as well. We do our um, our global baby showers coming up in May, and so that'll be really fun. So yeah, that's us. Yay! <laughs> um, and you can follow Modern Maya on uh, Instagram and Facebook. M-A-T-E-R-M-E-A. -E -E um, the website is modernmaya.com. I also do events as well, so um, you can subscribe to the e-newsletter through the website and just see what we're doing on Instagram and Facebook. We're, me, it's, it's just me for right now. <laughs> the real talk. We're gonna talk about the event, but <laughs> Ooh, I want in. Start, start, start within wants <laughs> in to the event. Start within wants to the event. We're starting within, within the event. So I want to thank both of you for sharing yourselves and, and sharing the real deal. And I am excited to like get involved and, and I love, we'll share links in the show notes for, for both of your sites and, and the Amazon link as well. So, um, and thank you all for joining us this evening. And for all of you, you can definitely subscribe to the Start Within podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and excited to have another Young Boss Media production. So thank you to the Young Boss, Boss Media team for helping to produce this event and Thanks to Center for Social Innovation for hosting us tonight. So this is Coach Colette helping you to start within to finish strong and have a great night. If you enjoyed this episode and haven't already subscribed, you can do so on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. You also can connect with me on Instagram at coach underscore Colette for more inspiration on personal growth and wellness. Want to help us create more great content and host more live podcast events? Then join our Start Within tribe and support this podcast with a small donation to help sustain our future episodes. Visit anchor.fm slash coach hyphen Colette slash support to get started today. You know, this podcast is truly my passion project, and I really appreciate your continued support. Get ready to start within to finish strong.